Most gifts that communicate value do so based on cost. But cost can be measured in more things than just dollars. It can be measured in ways that go beyond purely the financial cost. Uh, effort invested, uh, sacrifices made, time spent, all of that matters. And this matters, correspondence to needs or wants can significantly contribute to value. I learned this lesson uh, almost 50 years ago. Uh, our 50-year anniversary is on uh, Friday, the 23rd. And I think it was the first year we were married, I decided I am going to get Rochelle something special, an Accutron watch. Now, I realize that now we look back at that, but that was a big deal. And I thought, you know, for example, here's my watch. You know, it's got the typical band you put on the Seiko thing and you just snap it, you're good to go. But this one, it was a lady's watch that came with this thing where you have to hitch the, like a belt buckle thing. And I'm thinking, oh no, that's not going to work. I'm going to get her a Twistoflex band to go with it. <laughs> so I gave her the Accutron, the Accu whatever it is, Accutron watch with a Twistoflex and, and I gave it to her, and she looked at it, and I could tell it was, it was not a home run. <laughs> a little later on, she, she mentioned to me, she said, do you think I'm clunky? <laughs> but then she saw that, you know, the, the other strap was in the wrapping and stuff, and she looked at it and I said, well, what's this? And I said, well, I had, had, I took, had the jeweler take that off and put the other one. I like this. So I learned something about gift giving that is you need to also give a gift that understands who the person is. And uh, I'd like to share with you this morning one of the most amazing got it right gifts ever given. And it's actually identified in a passage by the Apostle Paul. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now what I want to do is ask four questions that are embedded in this passage. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, how rich? Yet for your sake he became poor. How poor? So that, why? Through his poverty you might become rich. How rich? So that's what we're going to do this morning is simply unpack those four questions. How rich was he? How poor did he become? Why did he do it? And how rich have we become? And I hope that when you go away you will say, this is exquisite. So let's start with how rich was he? Now, this is a sermon in which basically I'm unpacking this one verse, 2 Corinthians 9.8. But to do that, we're going to look at some other verses that help give us insight into the answers to those four questions. So there's going to be a number of scriptures that we're going to read, but they're all designed to help us understand this one verse. John 1, 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning was the word... 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This passage is telling us, now the grammar's challenging to interpret, but basically what it's saying is, when the beginning began, Jesus was already there. The Word, another name for Jesus. He's the declaration of God. This verse tells us that Jesus is God and was so even before the beginning of time. He possessed everything that defines deity. He's the source of life. And all things were created by him. This world, this universe, all inhabitants, all of that was created by Jesus when time began. John 8, 58 and 59, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And here Jesus is saying the same thing. I'm God. I was there before history even began. And his detractors are going, we get it. We don't agree. We're going to stone you for it. But they understood what he was saying. Micah 5.2 tells us this. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will go forth for me Someone who will be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. He was active even before creation. Uh, he was engaged in eternity past. He's destined to be the king of Israel. But he was, very, he was resplendent in glory before he ever came to this planet. In Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. I love seeing the images from the Hubble, and now I'm, there's a replacement for the Hubble. I'm loving the beginnings of images we're starting to see from that because I get to look through those and see something of the grandeur of Jesus who created all this. His work shows us his glory. His glory is commensurate with the scale and the grandeur of the universe. That's who Jesus is. Look at the galaxies. Look at the constellations to get an idea of how to view Jesus. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. Now get this, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This whole universe was created by him for him. It was designed to serve his purposes. He was the center of it. John 17, 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He was clothed in glory. He was magnificent. Though he was rich, 
yet for your sake he became poor. Jesus, before coming to this planet, was the sovereign of the universe, and he was covered in glory. He was magnificent. For us to see him before he came would be to fall on our faces in awe. Jesus did not become not God when he came to our planet. But the glory part was cloaked. It was not obvious to outward appearances when this little baby came to a manger that he was God. You could look with the eyes of faith, especially in Jesus' public ministry, and you could see who he was, but it was not obvious and apparent. And in this prayer in John 17, 5, this is the prayer that Jesus is praying as he's anticipating in the next few hours going to the cross and then eventually returning back to heaven. And he says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. How rich was he? Fabulously rich. He was clothed in glory. He was worshipped by all the angelic host. The whole created order was designed to serve his purposes and his goals. How poor did he become? John 1, 10 and 11. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. The one who created everything in this room, us, the world on which we stand, and the world didn't know it. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. When he came to our world, which he created, he was not recognized as its creator. He designed it all. Nobody recognizes him. He came as a baby. Now, I actually looked it up to see, is there a phobia where people are afraid of a baby? There's some people who are afraid of children, but I don't know of how you can be threatened by a, child, a newborn baby. He was close to homeless. He was from a town, Nazareth, that was not viewed very positively. And... He was born under morally suspicious uh, factors. The pregnancy, there was questions about how did she get pregnant? She said, God? Oh, yeah, right. But all of those poverty factors are dwarfed by other losses. Here is the people he's created, the world he has created, and he is rejected by them. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Based on his prayer, he dwelled in a place where God's name is not honored and his will is not done and his kingdom is not expressed. Remember the, the Lord's Prayer? He says, honor your name, will be done, kingdom be expressed here on earth like it is in heaven. That's what I long for. 
He dwelled in a place that was resplendent in glory where all things worked according to God's will. And then he came to a place where God's name is despised, where his will is not done, and where everybody's establishing their own rival kingdom. Is there a neighborhood that you fear because you're not safe? Are there certain places you would not go in Memphis because you think, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not comfortable there? Jesus came to the worst possible neighborhood knowing what would happen. The Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That was their way of slamming him. You don't belong among us. We're your superiors. And you're in league with the devil. You're a threat and we're on to you. Jesus came to our planet knowing that that's how he would be received. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This to me is the depth of that poverty. Here's Jesus who is holy and he was made to be my sin and your sin. To be viewed as what I deserve to be viewed as. That is the depth of the poverty to which he went. This is the one that hurts, frankly. He took upon himself my sin. What I deserve. He did the same for you. What you deserve for all the things that you have done wrong. Jesus was viewed by God as what you deserve and as what I deserve. Could Jesus have stopped the process? <laughs> Absolutely. Matthew 26, 52 through 54 says, Then Jesus said to him, to Peter, he's in the garden, he's about to be betrayed. Jesus knows exactly what is going to happen. Put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Jesus could have at any moment say, I'm done with this. I've had enough. And an immediate angelic rescue would be affected. But Jesus, even in this moment, said to the angels the equivalent of stand down. He could have stayed in the glory of heaven. But he came to our sin-filled world to be tortured, to be despised, and to be murdered. That's how poor he became. Now you've got to ask the question, why? <laughs> why, would you, why would you do that? Would you? Would I? 
It's embedded in the verse, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet, here it is, for your sake, he became poor. And then there's a, what's called a purpose clause in the original, so that, there's, here was his purpose, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Basically, he is saying, you're worth it. <laughs> no, really? I don't feel like I'm worth it. Doesn't matter. He says, you're worth it. Listen to Hebrews. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eye on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, get this, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. In other words, he became poor, a poverty that began in a, in a cradle and went to a cross. And he said, I have joy in the doing because I want you, every person in this room, I want you. You're worth it. He, for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. By the way, it says he was the author and perfecter of faith. What does that mean? I can have faith that I can fly and I can go to the DeSoto Bridge and jump off it and you will hear a big splash because I have placed my faith in something that doesn't work when Jesus was the author and perfecter of faith what it means is he did the things that were necessary so that faith placed in him will work if you will trust him for salvation it'll work why did he do this we're worth it but that wasn't all because father asked him to in John 3, 16 and 17, we quote 16, but you need 17 to go with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For, explanation, explanatory gar, God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. It says, God sent the son father said to him Jesus I have something I want you to do I take no delight in this people the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve I take no delight in them receiving what they deserve so I want you to go to this planet And Jesus recognized this. He said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm doing this because Father said, do this. Why did he do this? You're worth it. And Father told him to. Would you or I do this if Father asked? God designed a plan. And Jesus worked the Father's plan. Another reason he came is that 
Jesus does not want us to incur the consequences of our sinfulness. This is from 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Lord is not up in heaven going, oh, I cannot wait till these people get what they deserve. He came because he wants to give us a way for us to be able to not incur the consequences of our actions. He takes no pleasure in giving unrepentant sinners what they insist on. Now, if someone insists, they will get the consequences. But Jesus came to provide a way for wicked people, which we are, to be saved from the consequences of our actions. Because he doesn't want us to incur those consequences. If you insist on it, you will. But he's provided a way. This to me is amazing. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. He actually wants us to live with him. He wants us to dwell in glory. The same glory which he dwelled in before he came to our planet. Okay. He was incredibly rich. He became incredibly poor. And we are the reason. So that we through his poverty might become rich. How rich? 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 8 says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, so that you are not lacking any gift. We have been made rich in him. He's given us all manner of things. We have been lavished by good things. You know, this week I saw that Elon Musk has slipped from being the wealthiest man in the world. He's now number two. And a fellow by the name of Bernard Arnault, I assume I'm pronouncing it right, is now the new number one. <laughs> He's the richest man in the world. I have news for you. I cannot speak to the spiritual state of either man, but in the domain of true wealth, you are surpassingly rich because of what Jesus has done. You, in Jesus Christ, are wealthy on a level that Elon Musk, if he doesn't know Christ, could not possibly understand. <clears throat> this this is mind-boggling to me. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, that we might receive adoption as sons. The creator of the universe, the one who created everything, says, I want you, I want you to be my adopted children. 
we belong to the one who owns it all. In Ephesians chapter 1, there's quite a few. It's kind of an inventory of the blessings that we have received, and I'll read a part of it, and I'll highlight some. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, everything that is a benefit associated with heaven, it belongs to us. Just as he chose us in him, We've been chosen before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. No amount of money can buy that. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. There's that again, through Jesus Christ to himself. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. That passage says every spiritual blessing blamelessness before God, adoption, redemption, which means rescue, forgiveness. They're all ours. Riches of his grace have been lavished upon us. This is one I, I take great comfort from. This is Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that one because I can think of so many ways that I have been a disappointment to Father. And I can imagine standing before him and him saying, let me tell you all the ways you blew it. But this passage is telling me that's not going to happen. I mean, this boggles the mind. Someday you will stand before Father. I will too. Maybe the rest of you will be there. And instead of him saying, let me tell you all the whys, this guy is a jerk. Instead, he's going to say, let me tell you all the ways I appreciate who he has become in Christ. No condemnation. It's not going to happen. That will be my and your experience when we someday stand before him. Uh, let me show you one more. And then we'll see where we end up here. This is Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. It's one of the passages that actually gives you a glimpse of what life will be like in Christ and in eternity. Want to catch a glimpse? This is your future. This is what is going to happen to all those who name the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And there is God. We and God will live in the same place. And he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. i got to stop on that one. You know, once you hit, I don't know what year it is, you know, 50 or something like that, you realize that the carcass is in deterioration mode. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm, I'm ready to trade up for the new model. Particularly because the new model will not have decay built in it. Your new body is going to last you for a million years and it'll look as good as the first day you got it. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain 
the first things have passed away. Can you imagine that? Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. That's how rich. Okay, so how should I apply this, what you've said about the passage so far? Um, this gift which has been given to us which makes us incredibly wealthy in the things that truly matter I'm going to call it the grace package it is not something God forces on anyone uh, a gift does you no good unless you <laughs> unwrap it unless you open it you know has someone ever given you a gift and you just left it boxed up under the tree and let it gather dust over the year it didn't do you any good There's a gift here for you, a grace package. You, by his poverty, can be made rich, but only if you will unwrap the package. How do you do that? Well, instead of just tearing the wrapping paper, or then there's some, you know, who kind of undo it, you know, very carefully so they can save the paper. We open this gift by faith. When we admit we cannot save ourselves and claim Jesus as our Savior, that's when you open the grace package. If you've never done that, you can. It's very simple. Just need to tell him, I'm a sinner. What I deserve, your son paid for. I am naming Jesus as my Savior. And in that moment, the doorbell of your heart rings or you get a picture from, I, I suppose it's not prime, it's some angel, it's a, a picture from Gabriel, package delivered. Very interesting. 2 Corinthians 8 9, the first word in the verse is for. Now, this is something that's an explanation for something else. He's saying, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you understand what this grace package looks like. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What is this explaining? The word for tells us that this actually is connected to two verses earlier. It's an explanation for something. In two verses earlier, he says, abound in this gracious work. I want you to just take it to the max, this dispensing of grace that you are going to do to somebody else. Basically, what he's saying is the poverty enrichment program that Jesus did is a model of how we should relate to others. Jesus was willing to become desperately poor in order to make us rich. Go and do likewise. Be those who give in a way that is off the chart in terms of what it does for others. Let me show you something that is very astounding. 
you know, the richest man in the world, the poorest person in the world. Well, it's all, they're going to leave it all behind, right? Not true. Here's 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. They explain something that to me is quite profound. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now here's the key phrase I want you to hear. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Do you hear what's going on here? I can actually take how I use uh, time and talents and I can actually convert that into something that is going to be eternal. That's really what Paul was talking about in this passage. You have been made rich. So find ways to make others rich with what you have. It's possible to use God's rich supply that will actually affect your life in eternity. You can use time, talent, and treasure to invest in your retirement or you can use it to invest in life indeed. Now some might be saying, well, that's fine for some, you know, the Elon Musks of the world, but I'm not rich. Yeah, here's a fascinating statement. This is Matthew 10:42, And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones, and it really just means a little, someone who's insignificant, even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. In other words, you will be rewarded for even the smallest act of giving grace. And you have a great example. Jesus became poor to make us rich in what matters. And your future is secure. If you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, then show it by lavishing others with God's grace. Do you know of someone who needs a grace gift? Is there someone in your life who needs material help? A word of encouragement? Doesn't know Jesus. Jesus became poor so that you might become rich. Will you give of that riches to them? Let's pray. We are in awe, Father, of what your son did. We can't believe it. I am confident that we will not fully understand the riches that we have been given until we're in heaven. And even then, we'll just be getting started. We will not understand it then like we will a million years from now. Give us eyes to see today how rich we are in Christ. And out of that richness, to minister to the people around us in a way that echoes what your son did for us. Father, if there is anyone in this room who's never opened the package, 
I pray that you would give them the courage and the humility to say, I'm a sinner. I deserve eternal separation from you. But your son died on the cross for me. And I am naming him as my savior and choosing to live for him from this day forward. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who is our incredible Savior. Amen.